Well, welcome. You glad you're here this morning? Yeah. Oh, all four of you. Thank you. The rest of you just lean back and take a nap. How many of you are glad you're in the house of the Lord? Yeah. All right. We want to welcome all of you who are on- online. We pray that God will speak to your hearts also. Before I start my message, let me just say that we have elected a new pastor, Pastor Ethan, and uh, we need to support him, pray for him and his family as they get ready to come here to take on this responsibility, and it's our responsibility to pray for him. I used to tell the church years ago, if you want a better pastor than the one you got, well, pray for the one you got. God will make him better, amen? So let's, let's believe and let's pray. I hope Pastor Ethan, I hope you're listening. This is your church now. And, uh, but we love him and we praise God for him. Now, we are in a series called How to Be a Christian. And Pastor Mike did the first part when he talked about the test love. Are we loving the way Jesus wants us to love? Pastor Trey, he spoke on the key to being a Christian, which means living day by day. It, is a, it has to be a habit of living day by day, creating habits in your life that after a while become part of who you are. Now, this morning, I am going to deal with a subject that a lot of people don't like pastors to talk about. But I like to talk about it because I know people don't like it. All right? Because it's biblical. And we're going to talk about generosity, our needs, and God's provision. We don't realize how important the issue of giving and the issue is important to God. If you study the Word of God, you find that there's over 2,500 scriptures in the Bible that speak directly or indirectly to the issue of money and giving. More is said about that than faith, heaven, hell. You talk about any other, compassion, grace, mercy. And there's a reason why God does that. Because God knows how important and sometimes what we do with money and how it controls our lives to the point that it robs our relationship with God. I want to read Philippians 4, 9. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't matter how much or how little money you've earned. Everybody has financial fears. Now, right now, the condition of our country and the economy of the world is serious. We are being told that inflation is going to rise. Things are expensive. Uh, Let me give you an example. I was in Tuscaloosa yesterday, and I went to several restaurants to get some lunch, and I had a long line, so I left. So I figured I'll go to the old faithful uh, Five Guys. Went to Five Guys, got in there, got me a small cheeseburger, a smaller of fries, and a small drink. So when I asked the lady, how much is that? She said, $15. I said, what? Anyway, it's better than going to McDonald's. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Thank you. But the deal is that things are getting expensive. We don't know what's going to happen in the next six, seven months in this country with the economy. This virus is taking a new life of itself. So there is a fear when it comes to finances. In fact, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. There's more to maintain. There's more to insure, more to protect, more to worry about losing. 
I went to, I went to this harbor freight here three months ago and bought a little cheap saw for 15 bucks. And the lady looks at me and says, sir, do you want to buy insurance? I say, well, insurance? Every time you buy a little appliance, they want to sell you insurance. I said, if this thing doesn't work in three months, I'll throw in the garbage and buy another one. I'm not making a living using this instrument here. I mean, they won't sell me insurance. And then the insurance companies, if you do make a claim within the time you have it, they're going to find a way of blaming you for it, not giving you money. Amen? If you're in the insurance business, we love you. <laughs> but Philippians 4.19 is one of the most amazing, incredible, all-encompasses promises in the Bible. Think about it. This is God's guarantee regarding our finances. It says God will meet your needs. It doesn't say that God will meet some of your needs. And you may say, well, does that include my house payment? Does that include my vehicle? Does that include food? Does that include medical expenses, the braces for my children's teeth? Yes, it does. He says, I'll meet all of your needs. He didn't say, I'm going to meet your greeds or your wants. There's a difference. And a lot of people are looking to God to meet your selfish greed, and God is not going to do that because there's a difference between needs and wants. Now, let me ask you a question. Those of you who are parents, are you just going to give your kids everything they ask for regardless of what it is? Hopefully not because you love them. Now, I have had, in my 49 years of ministry, I have worked with many families that they did that, and what they raised was a bunch of chumps. Rotten, spoiled kids that turn out to be adults with no discipline in their life because nobody ever told them no. Some of you parents are getting real quiet now. You're not saying much, are you? But if you're a parent, you're not going to give your child everything they want. And God is our heavenly father. And God is not going to give us everything we ask for because he's not going to spoil us to death to where and then we lose track of who he is and what he does for us. And there's a lot of people that look to Jesus and they don't look to his face and his heart. What they're looking for is what do you have in your hand to give me? And he is not going to do that. He promised to meet our needs, and that promise is based on his riches, and he doesn't run out of resources. And this is a promise only for those who are believers, only for those who have trusted in Christ. And I'm going to take a minute to describe that because we have a lot of people that go to church today, and there might be some here this morning. You're in church, and you don't deny the existence of Jesus Christ. You don't deny the existence of the Bible. You don't deny Christianity. You love coming to church, baby, and you like it, but you have yet to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. You believe in him up here. The Bible says that you have to believe with your heart that he is Lord of your life. That means that your mental belief of God has to take a little journey some 18 inches from your head to your heart, and it has to become a reality and a conviction with you that you have surrendered your life to Jesus, not to a pastor, not to a church, not to an organization, not to a denomination, but to Jesus Christ himself. And if you are in that category, this promise that he'll meet all of your needs is for you. You can say amen or oh me. Either one is in order. 
because he guarantees to take care of us. And God is not going to fail in doing that. So that promises to believers. Now you may ask, why then are these believers who have financial problems? Why? Why is it that I see believers with financial problems? Did God lie? No, God did not lie. Remember this, that with every promise the Bible makes, there's also a condition. A condition. And I'm going to put it to you this way. I have made this statement hundreds of times in 49 years to people that have sat in my office. You see, it's a partnership. There are things that the Bible requires me to do. And there are things that the Bible requires God to do. And there are things that only you can do and there are things that only God can do. And basically, this is what God is telling you and I. There are things that only you can do and things that only I can do. And when you do the things that only you can do, and then I will do the things that only I can do. Until then, there's no deal. And there's a lot of people take it the other way. They want to sit down and say, God, give me, God, do for me, but never want to step forward to do their part of their relationship with Jesus. And God has laid out financial principles in his word, principles of saving, spending, giving, investing, principles about how to use your resources. And I want us to look at these conditions. And I'm going to give you five conditions. Here's the first one. Number one is if I ask for help. That's a simple condition. James 4.2 says you do not have because you do not ask. That's simple. We, you know, Americans today, no, we don't need to ask. We're self-sufficient. We got jobs. We got deals. We got this. We got the other. We're so self-sufficient. Miriam and I have traveled to Africa and other parts of the world, and we have seen people in total poverty, happy as all can get out, worshiping God. But let me tell you, when they have a need, they pray. They, they know who their provider is. I was in Togo, Africa with Miriam, and we actually, she didn't go on this trip, and we went inland to a city to meet a young pastor. And the missionaries told me, Ron, this man has laid in the bed of his home at the point of death. And when some days prior to that, they took me to the local hospital. We walked in one door, went to the hallway, went out. I didn't want to. The flies, the bugs are unbelievable. Rags with blood thrown everywhere. But that guy was dying. And his church rose up. And they said, our God is our healer. And for six months, they had a 24-hour visual of the members of that church taking turns to go kneel around his bed 24-7 for six months until one day he got up and walked out of that bed. And we sat in a restaurant having lunch with him. God says, I will meet your needs, but you have to ask. God wants us to ask regardless. He never closes the storehouse until you close your mouth. It's all in your mouth. You can speak a blessing or you can speak a curse. You cannot say nothing or you could ask. Now, if your children don't ask, you're not ever going to know to meet their needs. But if they ask, you'll meet that need. If they're hungry and said, Mom, Daddy, I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. You will do that. God's the same way. He wants you and I to ask. Quit being so self-sufficient to where you don't need God only when you're in trouble. Amen? Okay. 
The problem is that we don't ask. Let me ask you this. The last time that you needed a car, did you ask God? Or did you just go out and buy it? See, this is the deal. God wants to be involved in every facet of our lives. It isn't a matter of whether you have the money to buy it or not. Are you asking God, God, I need to buy a car. Can you lead me to the right place? Can you get me the deal that I need? God, can you make it affordable for me? God, give me direction. Do I really need this brand new car? Or can I do with something that's used but good? But we don't do that in America because if we got the money, as long as we can make the monthly payment, we don't even care about the interest rate. Did you pray about it? And my guess is probably is that we probably didn't do. We, we didn't ask God. We just went out and we bought the car. We didn't pray. And then we wonder why sometimes we get in financial crises because we go do things without God's permission, without God's input, without God's favor, without God's leading. God wants to lead in every facet of your life and my life. Every facet. And Jesus is asked, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Over 20 times in the New Testament, God says, ask. I want you to ask me. I am your heavenly Father. And one of the reasons why we don't see miracles in our lives is that we never ask for them, and we wonder why. Did you know there's miracles happening all over the world in the Christian community? I mean, miracles that, that Christians in America sometimes even doubt if they really happen, but they happen. Unbelievable miracles because they ask. They have, no other, they, they have nothing else but to ask. And we should ask because the word of God is good for us as it, good, as it good, is good for them, even though we do have more than they do. And if we want to see God work more in our lives, then we need to start asking and before, you see, before you, you pay for it. Why don't you pray for it? I mean, that's a concept, isn't it? Think about it. That's a novel concept. Before you pay for it, why don't you pray for it? Pray and see what is it that God is leading you to do? I remember when Miriam and I moved here in 1984, a year or two later, we were needing a car. So we went downtown here, a dealership that no longer exists, because they, they had this big sale going on. And the, back in those days, they put you in the car, they let you drive it. The salesman was really who we were driving. And I got, well, she and I went by ourselves. I got back to the dealership. And on the way back, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, don't you buy this car? There's nothing wrong with the car. Nothing wrong with the dealership. He said, this is not for you. I don't want you buying this car. So I told Miriam, and she said, you know, I feel the same way. Now we felt like idiots. Yeah, we felt like idiots. Now I got to go back to the dealership and confront this sales guy who already has his pen just fired up, and the paper's ready. He's hot to try. He's going to make a commission. And we walked in the door. He said, well, isn't that a great car? How did you like it? He said, it was fine. I appreciate it, but, but we're not going to buy it. Well, was there anything wrong this? So this is what I told him. I said, no, God just spoke to our hearts that we can't. We shouldn't buy this car. He said, what? I said, yeah. We walked out. He's like, I don't tell him what he said. Who cares? Because God told us not to buy the car. And later on, God proved to us why we were not to get into that situation with the car. 
So do you pray first and ask God or do you go get it and then, you, and then when you can't afford it, oh God, bail me out. See, that's the problem there. You want God to bail you out of the problem that you created. And that's one of the reasons why we don't see miracles. Give God a chance to perform a miracle before you go out and, and you charge it to a credit card or go sign a, a note. God wants us to ask because he is a loving father and loving fathers give gifts to their children. And all he wants us to do is to ask. It was a story of a young man who was in a Bible college, a great kid, had an old clunker for a car, was breaking down, I mean, horrible. And the church loved him and people in the church knew who he was. He was in desperate need of a car. And one day a friend came to me and said, hey, Come here, man. I know this guy's got a, a used car. It's good. It'll be, you can afford it. And, and the kid went and sure he did. He bought the used car, got rid of the old clunker. He came to church, but he didn't know that there was a couple in the church who owned a business and his husband had just bought his wife six months ago a brand new vehicle and she hated the vehicle. So she told her husband, honey, I don't want this car anymore. He said, all right, go to the dealership, turn it in and, and, and buy another one. I mean, isn't it nice to be able to do that? And then the man said, you know what? Why don't we pray? And they started to praying, and the Lord laid it on their heart to give that vehicle to that young man. And Sunday when he came to church, he was showing them the, his used car, and he said, young man, you just robbed yourself of the greatest blessing in your life. We were getting ready to give you a brand new car. Why? Because he bought it without praying. Had he prayed and sought God, God could have said, just wait, wait a couple of more days. And he would have had a car without no payment, a brand new vehicle, but he didn't want to wait. John 16, 24 says, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. Now, why does God want to, me to ask? So that he can give and, and, and we can give and receive the joy, a joy that be a living testimony of who God really is. Think about it. Because a joyful Christian is the best advertisement that you could ever have for Jesus Christ. It's a great witness when people can see us in the midst of hassles and trials and know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That regardless of what we're going through, man, God's going to take care of us. Oh, it's not easy. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that there's not going to be concerns and caution signs. But, you know, deep in your heart, you know God's got this. God has this. You see, a, a sourpuss Christian who has been sucking on a lemon is a bad testimony for God. Think about it. They've been baptized in vinegar. And the world sees enough people like that out there that call them, I'm a Christian. They hate everybody. They're mad at the world. Nothing is good. Gee, thanks. I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm going to be, I'm gonna, I want your Jesus. God promised to meet all of our financial needs. Here's condition number two. If I learn to be content. And that is a big one right there. Why? Because God is, for, God is far more interested in our character than he is our comfort. Church, listen to that. He's more interested in our character than he is our comfort. He wants us to grow up, mature, be like Jesus. So he watches our attitude. 
if he thinks, if we think having more will make us happy, or if we intend on using all of our money selfishly, or think that more about things is more important than God, why in the world should God give us anything? Why? Why would he want to do that? He's watching our attitude. Have I learned to be content? 1 Timothy 6, verses 6-7 says, There is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For, for we bought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul to a cemetery? Think about it. You ain't taking anything with you, baby. That's all there is to it. You're leaving and that's it. So accumulation of stuff is for who? For somebody else to use. The most important thing in life aren't things. There is learning to be content. Are you content? Are you satisfied where you're at? Do you need more? That may be possible. Do you want more? That's possible. But you say, regardless of what, I'm content. I'm content in Christ, and whatever I need in due season, God will provide for us. When Miriam and I got married, and, and she's sitting right here, next week will be 48 years that we've been married. And you know why I married her? I married her for her looks, and she had two pennies in her purse. No. God laid it on her heart that she was going to marry a minister. We met, we fell in love, we got married, and I came to Birmingham to start Alabama Teen Challenge, and they didn't have any money to pay me. Six to seven months of the year for four or five years, I went without a salary. She worked, I traveled for the program to help raise funds to open this house for drug addicts. I used to go to a, and I think it's still in Irondale, Alabama. There's a big store called the Alabama Thrift Store. I used to have to go there to buy suits and ties and shirts in order to go into a church to speak. I wasn't embarrassed. I came from a home where all of that was provided for us at the drop of a hat. Now I'm going to a thrift store. But you know what? I had contentment in my heart because I knew God had called me and I knew that this program was going to salvage the life of hundreds and thousands of men and women. And we never felt poor. We never were envious other couples in our church that both had good jobs and houses and boats. We know we all got together, had a good time. Matter of fact, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. And all the furniture except the bed was loaned to us by an elderly couple called the Wicks who loved us so much. They said, we got a basement full of furniture. You just come and get it. And there were times that we didn't have much to eat. And one day we were going to church on a Wednesday night getting ready and the doorbell rings. And I go out and I looked around. There. You know, the kids in the apartment complex would just ring the doorbell and run. And I thought that's what happened. When I went to close the door, there was five bags of groceries sitting there. I don't know who put them there to this day. I can tell you testimony. We can get up here for two and a half hours or three hours and tell you God met our needs so many ways. You know, but you know what we did? God was number one. From the time 
She was raised in, in, in church. I was raised in church. We both tithe even before we met each other. We are still tithing. We have never gone a week or a month without paying our tithes and putting God first. And God has taken care of us. For those of you who don't know, I'm a living testimony. In spite of all the years I spent doing drugs and looking like an idiot as a hippie, God saved my life. And in, in 208, I got, God allowed me to have a liver transplant. A year or two later, I got, I got completely set free from hepatitis C. I'm doing great. The last time I was with the doctor about six months ago, they said, man, you're doing real good. Not bad for 72 years old. You know why? Not because I'm anything special. Because I serve a God who doesn't lie. I serve a God who's true to his promises. He's met all of our needs. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's been some times that he said no to wants. Oh, I've had wants too. And there's been times that I've had to deal with a little issue of greed. And God said, uh-uh, no way, Jose. It ain't going to happen. Cool. I'm good with that. But he's never failed us. Never. And the key is, are you going to be content? Are you going to be content? Or are you going to be wrapped up within your circumstances? And some people get caught up in thinking, when I have such and such, you know, when I, when I get economic and to a certain economical level, you know, when I have a certain job, when I retire, I'll be happy. And God says, no, because once you have reached that place, you think you're going to be happy, you're going to want something else. When I get married, I'll be happy. When I have a baby, I'll be happy. When you get married six months later, you're going to say, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> Wake up in the morning, look over, who are you? <laughs> we had a couple that had a baby here recently, and, and last night we were at a function, and I said, I asked him, hey, man, I, and I knew he was going to tell me. I said, hey, you've been sleeping lately? He said, no. I say, ah. <laughs> yeah. When I own a new house, I'll be happy. When I get a pimped out pickup, I'll be happy. When I get a job or a promotion or grandchildren, when I retire, no. Your happiness is not based on any of that. Are those things bad? No. Are they good? No. But that's not your ultimate happiness. Your contentment comes from your relationship with Jesus. Because we keep hoping for more when we just need to be content within our own circumstances. Contentment is something we have to learn. It isn't something that comes naturally to the average person. How do you learn contentment? When you stop doing what causes you to be discontent. Comparing causes discontentment. God said it is stupid to compare yourself to other people. He made us all individual. He made us special. God doesn't make junk. You were created in the image of Jesus Christ. And as far as I'm concerned, this is the way God did it. All perfect heads came bald. The rest of them he gave hair. All right? But we live in a society that tells us on the news, on the television, that there's something wrong with you if you don't wear this. There's something wrong if you don't look like this girl or this guy, if you don't look like... Listen, God made you. Are we to take care of ourselves? Yes. But you need to respect and love who you are because God made you perfect. God didn't make any mistakes when you were born and brought into this world. I don't care if you came into this world through your, through your wife, through your, rather your mother who 
had you without being married. God still doesn't make mistakes. God loves all humans. We got to learn to be content in the situation that we're in. But the question we got to ask ourselves is this. Can God trust you with wealth? Can he trust you with wealth? Have you learned to be content? Because you see, listen to me carefully. I've been in the ministry 49 years. And I've dealt with this issue for years. God has chosen money to be the acid test of your faith. Nothing else. Money. Because God knows how money grips our heart. God knows how we think if we have a lot of it, that's all we need. Steve Jobs became a multi-multi-billionaire. He started the Apple Corporation. And at an early age in his life, I think it was in his 50s, he found out he had cancer. He tried to use his money to find cures all over the world, but it didn't help him. He died. Here's a man that had it all, and it didn't do him any good. A man who, from all practical purposes out of his own mouth, didn't even believe that God existed. So it's not in the wealth, it's not in the possession. It's to learn to be content where God has you. And God wants us to ask when we have a need. Learn to be content so that our happiness isn't dependent on how much we have or how little we have. God has promised to meet all of our needs, all of our financial needs. Here's number three, if I practice giving in faith. The Bible teaches this as the law of the harvest. When Jesus was ministering and he was running around from one town to the other, he used illustrations, actually parables, that he knew the people of the time, of the time could relate with. So he used the farmer, and he says in 2 Corinthians 6, 9, rather 6 through 8, he says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly would also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously would also reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. He said, but God loves a what? A cheerful giver. He doesn't love a giver that says, oh, I've got to give this money to God so he can bless me. You take that attitude, you already lost your blessing. He loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make what? All grace in all things, at all, all grace in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's God's promise. Have you ever had somebody put you under pressure to give something and then you felt guilty for doing it? Well, why do you don't do it? I received a letter, this is years back, we were still living in Birmingham, from some call, some, some call the evangelist. Sends me a letter, I open it up, he says, there, Ron God, I got a prophetic word for you. When they start that, my antennas go up. And God does speak prophetically too. He said, God told me he wants to bless you so much, he wants to meet all of your needs, and we were poor as a church mouse, let me tell you. And if you send $1,000 to my ministry in, in a month's time, you're going to get $3,000. Not a bad deal. So I turned around and wrote him a letter. 
I said, brother, I appreciate your prophetic word. You're such a man of God. I'll tell you what. I want you to have the best be blessed. So I'll tell you what. You send me $1,000 and God will send you three in a month. How's that? I never heard from the guy. Now, I know that not all people who are on television preaching the gospel do that because there's a lot of them that are legit and they serve God and they're worthy of our support. But stay away from these people who put you on a guilt trip that you got to send it now, send it now, and, God, and, you, and you feel guilty. Don't do that. If you give that way, you're wasting your time. Give because God has put it on your heart to give. Give so that God can be blessed. Because in verse 8 it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You see, this is the principle of sowing and reaping. If you sow division, you're going to reap division. If you sow love, you're going to reap love. If you sow strife, you're going to reap strife. If you sow kindness, you reap kindness. If you sow mercy, you reap mercy. If you sow integrity, you reap integrity. Every farmer knows this principle. That they know that in order to have a harvest, you must plant seeds. And when you have a need, the Bible says plant a seed. Not from guilt. Because somebody had to put you on a guilt trip. But do it as unto the Lord. Sometimes in the midst of our lack, we need to plant a seed. It could be to buy a meal for somebody. It could be to do something kind for an individual. So you realize you're not the only one that has needs. And then listen to me very carefully because there are Christians in churches that this is what they do. Instead of planting a seed, they eat their seed. And if you eat your seed, there's not going to be a harvest. So if you're eating your seed because you know better, that God's not going to give you a harvest and God can't meet your need. Why did God set this up this way? Because God is a giver and he wants us to be like him. He wants us to be like his son. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. And if you don't learn to be generous, if you're stingy and always worrying about what you, what you got and, and, and rather than what God can do for you and God can give you or what I can do for others, you're never going to be like Jesus Christ. He says, give and it will be given unto you. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, honor the Lord by giving him the first part of your income and he will fill your barns overflowing. This is the principle of tithing. It is a principle where Regardless of whether you make $5 or $100,000 or $5,000, you give 10% of that to the Lord. And 10% is just the beginning. You give it to God. Tithing is not charity. Tithing, listen to me, tithing is a, an act of worship. The same way we come here and we're led by these great worship team to worship God and we praise God and we lift highly praise to the Lord and lift our hands and sing. What good is it if when you walk out, you don't give nothing week after week, month after month, you're taking, taking, never giving. And you may say, oh, you're trying to put me in a gift. No, I'm not putting, I'm, I'm giving you the word of God. I want you to be blessed. I want your family to be blessed. And that's, what the, that's how the Bible says he's going to bless you. It's an act of worship. It's an act of worship that says, all of it came from you, Lord. And because it came from you, I'm going to put you first. And if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have anything. Everything you own, the shirt, 
your suit, your dress, your house, everything you have belongs to God. None of it belongs to you. It all was given to you by God. He, you and I just managers, good steward. He has allowed us to be steward of those things. And he's watching to see if you pass the test. And God says, put me first in your life and watch what I can do. I'll bless you so much that your barns will overflow. Now, why, why does God say, give, put me first? Give me the first? He didn't say, go pay all of your bills, and then if you got something left over, give me a, a tip. As a matter of fact, if you come to think about it, did you know what? Some people will tip a waitress and a waiter more money than they do give God. And those people deserve their tips. I'm not worried about that. You know, we'll go to a restaurant with some people and boy, we want to give them 20% tip. That's fine. How much have you given God? Is it because God is poor and he needs it? No. Because what it represents, it represents, listen to me, your heart. Your heart. And the Bible says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be also. It's your heart. That's why money is the test of our faith. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure. Show me your bank account. Show me your financial statement. And I'll show you where God lies in your life. God promises to meet all of our nation, financial needs. Here's number four. If I maintain my integrity. You see, if we maintain our integrity, God says, I will assume responsibility for your financial needs. God, does, God doesn't bless dishonesty. Proverbs 16, 11 says, the Lord demands fairness in every business deal. That includes wages, sales, taxes, tithing. If you want God to bless your finances and then learn to be honest with people, you can't rip people off. Back during the COVID, we were locked up. I had a little four-wheeler at the house, and I wanted to sell it. And I put a price, and the guy called, and he said, I want to buy it. Not even 10 minutes or 15 minutes after he bought it, I got a call. This guy said, hey, do you still have it? I said, yeah, but I just sold it. He asked me, what, what did you sell it for? So I told him. He said, look, man, I'll tell you what. I'll come and get it right now. I'll give you $1,500 more than what he paid you for it. I said, absolutely not. He said, come on, man. It's $1,500. I said, that's not the issue. I gave this gentleman my word, and I'm not going to back out. Even you gave me $5,000 more. Because that is honesty before God. That's integrity before God. He couldn't believe it. Man. I can't believe you, man. I said, no, but God can. <laughs> Proverbs 19.1 said, it's better to be poor and honest than to be rich and dishonest. Why? Because the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Proverbs 10.22 says, the blessings of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. Have you ever met people that are Christians that are always having financial trouble? They're always in trouble. Always something is wrong with them. You wonder why? You reap what you sow. And if you are dishonest with others, it will be returned back to you. And let me say this. By the time, at, at this point in the sermon, you can say, oh me, oh my. Either way, it's, don't worry about it. And if you haven't been caught yet, the clock is ticking Judgment is still there one day if you're dishonest because the Bible says that you can't mock God and get away with it. God promises to meet all of my financial needs. And here's the last one. And some of you are saying, thank God. 
I'll tell you what Elizabeth telleth all her husbands. Don't worry, honey, I won't keep you long. <laughs> Matthew 6.33. Your heavenly father already knows perfectly well what you need, and he will give it to you if you give him first place in your life and live as he wants you to. That's all he wants. As a child, when I needed something, I asked my dad. I never worried about whether he could or couldn't. I always expected that he could. I depended on him as a child. Your children are the same thing with you. They're not worried about whether you're going to feed them lunch after this service. They're not worried about whether they're not going to have a house to go to or bed to sleep in. In their minds, you, you, you're like God to them. You can do anything. You can take care of them. And that's all God is asking. That you treat God in that same manner. That God can take care of you. That God can meet all your needs. And many believers act, as, act like spiritual orphans. You know, you forget that you've got a heavenly father. He already knows what you need. He's just waiting for you to ask. And the Bible says if God can take care of the birds, how much not more can he take care of you? Do you understand that nothing in all of creation worries more about their needs than human beings? Animals don't. Have you heard an animal out there saying, I wonder where I'm going to get fed? You don't hear animals saying, you don't hear birds chirping. Hey, wait, give me some food. They'll find it. Because God takes care of them. And if God can take care of an animal, and I know some, there might be a tree hugger in here, I don't know, that doesn't have a soul, it's not going to heaven. Animals don't go to heaven. How much not more is he not going to take care of you and I? We are his children. We've been born again by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. All of the resurrection power of Jesus lives in me. And one day I'll see him face to face. So the bottom line is this. How much do you trust God? And this morning, that starts by you giving your life to Jesus. Because you see, worrying is a form of atheism. Think about it. Every time you worry, you're acting like an atheist. You're saying, it all depends on me. It's not the Bible way. Any way you look at it, that's not what the Bible teaches. God has a big hand in all of this. And when you worry, you're taking God out of the picture. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, don't put your hope in wealth, which is uncertain. But put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Psalm 11:5 says, he gives food to those who trust him and he never forgets his promises. Are you going to trust him? And it starts with this. Because there might be somebody here this morning. You don't doubt that Jesus is the son of God. You're not questioning quote unquote religion as it were. But you haven't given your life to Jesus. You're still hanging on because maybe you're afraid if you give your heart to Jesus this morning, that tomorrow you may do something that God may be mad at you and take it away. God doesn't do that. Listen, God is more concerned in you and I going to heaven than we are ourselves. This is a walk that takes time. 
It's a process. And you walk and sometimes you'll stumble and you'll fail or you'll fall off the wagon. You get up again, you go and God goes with you. And ultimately as you trust God, God begins to clean up your life little by little until after a while you begin to say, wow, this really works. He did it with me. He's done it to many people. God doesn't expect you to be perfect overnight. But this morning you can say, Jesus, come into my heart. You're not giving your life to me or to this church. I will never die for you. But Jesus did. You're not giving your name, your life to this church. You don't want religion. You want a relationship with Jesus. And I'm asking you, matter of fact, I'm begging you that if you haven't done that yet and you're waiting and sometimes you feel bad, do it this morning. Do it by faith. The Bible says it is by faith that we are saved. It isn't by works. It's by faith. I want us to bow our heads. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. But if you have yet to give your heart to Jesus, to really commit your life to Jesus. Not that I believe in my head, but I believe in my heart. That what started in my head has come down to my heart. Now it's a permanent conviction. I know that I know that I know that I belong to Jesus. We just had a very dear friend, pastor friend, that pastors in the city for many years, 54 years old, suddenly died in Birmingham. Left a young wife and two young children. Our hearts are broken. Our hearts ache for that family. But you know what? Martin Andrews is in the presence of the Lord. I have no doubt about that. We don't know why. That's not for us to ask. But God knows. But if death was to knock at your door before this day is out, and you heard the knock of death, do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that your soul will be ushered into the very presence of Jesus? That's what you got to answer. You may say, around your guilt tripping. No, I'm not guilt tripping you. I'm just laying it out because I want you to give right with Jesus. Because one day I'll stand before the Lord and give an account for every altar call that I did and didn't do and how I did it. Because we're not certain. Tomorrow's gone. Today is here. Tomorrow may never come. Yesterday, rather, is gone. Today is here. Tomorrow may not ever come. Today may be the last for somebody here. Do you know that you know that you're going to go see Jesus? This is serious business, church. And if you want to give your heart to Jesus and you want by faith to step out, I don't care what you do, what you have done. I don't care what you do tomorrow. Just trust him today and he'll be there for you tomorrow. I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Anybody in this building, God bless you. Anybody else, God bless you. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. God bless you, ma'am. Don't be embarrassed. Don't let pride grip your heart. God bless you, ma'am. I want us to pray with me together. Say, Dear Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I know I'm a sinner, but you're a savior. I invite you into my heart. Cleanse me of all of my sins, of all of my transgressions. 
Father, I let you, let your spirit live in me. Help me every day to learn you, to love you, to trust you, to live for you. And gradually, Lord, through your spirit, through your word, through the church, help me to grow that I may change daily into what you want me to be. I trust you by faith. I thank you, Jesus, that one day I'll see you face to face, not as a stranger, but as family. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Every head, head bowed. Keep your heads bowed. Maybe you're here this morning and you got to say, you know, I need to check. I need to, I need a financial checkup in my life. I need to put some priorities. I need to, I need to do better with my finances. I know that's a hard question to even want to answer. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. But you want to do better. You say, Pastor, I need prayer. If you want to raise your hand, you can. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. It's honesty. That's all it is. We all messed up financially. We've done it ourselves one or two times throughout 48 years of marriage. But God has been good. Some of you won't raise your hand. We're going to pray for you anyway. Father, I just pray for everybody that raised their hand, even those that haven't, but you know their heart. They're struggling. Maybe decisions were made that weren't good, and now they're in a real tight situation. And maybe to get out of that situation, Father, they haven't trusted you with their finances and tithed to you and put you first. Father, but I pray that starting today, they make up their mind that regardless of what happens, you're going to be first. They're going to trust you. They're going to ask in faith believing and trust that you are a provider, that you meet their needs. Minister to them, Father. Touch them in the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offer. Come on.